0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Today, two great stories from O. Henry. The first, An Adjustment of Nature. And the second, The Love Filter of Ikey Schoenstein. And now, An Adjustment of Nature. In an art exhibition the other day, I saw a painting that had been sold for $5,000. The painter was a young scrub out of the West named Kraft, who had a favorite food, and a pet theory. His pabulum was an unquenchable belief in the unerring artistic adjustment of nature. His theory was fixed around corned beef hash with post egg. There was a story behind the picture, so I went home and let it drip out of a fountain pen. The idea of craft, but that is not the beginning of the story. Three years ago, Kraft, Bill Judkins, a poet, and I took our meals at Ciphers on 8th Avenue. I say took... When we had money, Cypher got it off of us, as he expressed it. We had no credit. We went in, called for food, and ate it. We paid, or we did not pay. We had confidence in Cypher's sullenness and smoldering ferocity. Deep down in his sunless soul he was either a prince, a fool, or an artist. He sat at a worm-eaten desk, covered with files of waiter's checks so old that I was sure the bottomest one was for claims that Hendrick Hudson had eaten and paid for. Cipher had the power, in common with Napoleon III, "'of throwing a film over his eyes, "'rendering opaque the windows of his soul. "'Once when we left him unpaid, with egregious excuses, "'I looked back and saw him shaking with inaudible laughter behind his film. "'Now and then we did pay up back scores. "'But the chief thing at Cypher's was Millie. "'Millie was a waitress. "'She was a grand example of Kraft's theory of artistic adjustment of nature.' She belonged, largely, to waiting tables, as Minerva did to the art of scrapping, or Venus to the science of serious flirtation. Pedestaled and in bronze, she might have stood with the noblest of her heroic sisters, as liver and bacon enlivening the world. She belonged to ciphers. You expected to see her colossal figure loom through that reeking blue cloud of smoke from frying fat, just as you expect the palisades to appear through a drifting Hudson River fog. There, "'amid the steam of vegetables and the vapors of acres of ham and, "'the crash of crockery, the clatter of steel, "'the screaming of short orders, the cries of the hungering, "'and all that horrid tumult of feeding man, "'surrounded by swarms of the buzzing winged beast "'bequeathed with us by Pharaoh, "'Milly steered a magnificent way like some great liner "'cleaving among the canoes of howling savages.' Our goddess of grub was built on lines so majestic that they could be followed only with awe. Her sleeves were always rolled above her elbows. She could have taken us three musketeers in her two hands and dropped us out the window. She had seen fewer years than any of us, but she was of such superb Evehood and simplicity that she mothered us from the beginning. Cypher's store of eatables she poured out upon us with royal indifference to price and quantity, as from a cornucopia that knew no exhaustion. Her voice rang like a great silver bell. Her smile was many-toothed and frequent. She seemed like a yellow sunrise on mountaintops. I never saw her, but I thought of the Yosemite. And yet, somehow, I could never think of her as existing outside of ciphers. There nature had placed her, and she had taken root and grown mightily. She seemed happy and took her few poor dollars on Saturday nights with the flushed pleasure of a child that receives received an unexpected donation." It was Kraft who first voiced the fear that each of us must have held latently. It came up apropos, of course, of certain questions of art at which we were hammering. One of us compared the harmony existing between a Hayden symphony and pistachio ice-cream to the exquisite congruity between Millie and Cyphers. "'There is a certain fate hanging over Millie,' said Kraft, "'and if it overtakes her, she is lost to Cyphers and to us.' "'She will grow fat?' "'asked Judkins, fearsomely. "'She will go to night school "'and become refined?' "'I ventured anxiously. "'It is this,' said Kraft, "'punctuating in a puddle "'of spilled coffee "'with a stiff forefinger. "'Caesar had his Brutus. "'The cotton has its bullworm. "'The chorus girl has her Pittsburgher. "'The summer boarder "'has his poison ivy. "'The hero has his Carnegie medal. "'Art has its Morgan. "'The rose has its—' "'Speak!' I interrupted, much perturbed. You do not think that Millie will begin to lace? One day, concluded Kraft solemnly, there will come to Cypher's for a plate of beans a millionaire lumberman from Wisconsin, and he will marry Millie. Never! exclaimed Junkins and I in horror. A lumberman! repeated Kraft hoarsely. And a millionaire lumberman! I sighed despairingly. "'From Wisconsin?' groaned Judkins. "'We agreed that the awful fate seemed to menace her. "'Few things were less improbable. "'Milly, like some vast virgin stretch of pine woods, "'was made to catch the lumberman's eye. "'And well we knew the habits of the badgers, "'once fortune smiled upon them. "'Straight to New York they hie, "'and lay their goods at the feet of the girl "'who serves them beans in a beanery. "'Why, the alphabet itself connives!' The Sunday newspaper's headliner's work is cut for him. Winsome waitress wins wealthy Wisconsin woodsman. I can see it now. For a while, we felt that Millie was on the verge of being lost to us. It was our love of the unerring artistic adjustment of nature that inspired us. We could not give her over to a lumberman, doubly accursed by wealth and provincialism. We shuddered to think of Millie, with her voice modulated and her elbows covered. "'pouring tea in the marble tepee of a tree-murderer. "'Not in cipher she belonged. "'In the bacon-smoke, the cabbage-perfume, "'the grand, Wagnerian chorus of hurled ironstone china "'and rattling casters. "'Our fears must have been prophetic, "'for on that same evening the Wildwood discharged upon us Milly's preordained confiscator. "'Our fee to adjustment and order. "'But Alaska, and not Wisconsin, bore the burden of the visitation.' "'We were at our supper of beef stew and dried apples "'when he trotted in as if on the heels of a dog team "'and made one of the mess at our table. "'With the freedom of the camps, he assaulted our ears "'and claimed the fellowship of men lost in the wilds of a hash house. "'We embraced him as a specimen, "'and in three minutes we had all but died for one another as friends. "'He was rugged and bearded and wind-dried. "'He had just come off the trail,' he said, "'at one of the North River ferries.' "'I fancied I could see the snow-dust of Chilkoot yet powdering his shoulders. "'And then he strewed the table with the nuggets, stuffed ptarmigans, beadwork, and seal-pelts "'of the returned Klondiker, and began to prate to us of his millions. "'Bank drafts for two millions was his summing up, "'and a thousand a day piling up for my claims. "'And now I want some beef stew and canned peaches. "'I'd never got off the train since I mushed out of Seattle, and I'm hungry.' The stuff they feed you on Pullman's don't count. You gentlemen, order what you want. And then Millie loomed up with a thousand dishes on her bare arm, loomed up big and white and pink and awful as Mount St. Elias, with a smile like daybreaking in a gulch. And the Klondiker threw down his pelts and nuggets as dross, and let his jaw fall halfway, and stared at her. You could almost see the diamond tiaras on Millie's brow, and the hand-embroidered silk Paris gowns that he meant to buy for her. At last the bullworm had attacked the cotton. The poison ivy was reaching out its tendrils to entwine the summer border. The millionaire lumberman, thinly disguised as the Alaskan miner, was about to engulf our milly and upset nature's adjustment. Kraft was the first to act. He leaped up and pounded the Klondiker's back. "'Come out and drink!' he shouted. "'Drink first and eat afterward!' Judkin seized one arm and I the other. "'Gayly, roaringly, irresistibly, in Jolly Goodfellow's style, "'we dragged him from the restaurant to a café, "'stuffing his pockets with his embalmed birds and indigestible nuggets. "'There he rumbled a roughly good-humored protest. "'That's the girl for my money,' he declared. "'She can eat out of my skillet the rest of her life. Why, well, i never seen such a fine girl. "'I'm going back there and ask her to marry me. "'I guess she won't want to sling hash more "'when she sees the pile of dust I've got.' You take another whiskey and milk now, Kraft persuaded, with Satan's smile. I thought you up country fellows were better sports. Kraft spent his puny store of coin at the bar and then gave Judkins and me such an appealing look that we went down to the last dime we had in toasting our guest. Then, when our ammunition was gone and the Klondiker, still somewhat sober, began to babble again of Millie, Kraft whispered into his ear such a polite, barbed insult relating to people who were miserly with their funds, that the miner crashed down handful after handful of silver and notes, calling for all the fluids in the world to drown the imputation. Thus the work was accomplished. With his own guns we drove him from the field, and then we had him carted to a distant small hotel and put to bed with his nuggets and baby sealskins stuffed around him. "'He'll never find ciphers again,' said Kraft. "'He will propose to the first white apron he sees "'in a dairy restaurant tomorrow. "'And Millie, I mean, the natural adjustment, is saved. "'And back to Cyphers went we three, "'and finding customers scarce, "'we joined hands and did an Indian dance "'with Millie in the center. "'This, I say, happened three years ago. "'At about that time, a little luck descended upon us three, "'and we were enabled to buy costlier "'and less wholesome food than Cyphers. "'Our paths separated,' AND I SAW Kraft NO MORE, AND JUDGEN SELDOM. BUT, AS I SAID, I SAW A PAINTING THE OTHER DAY THAT WAS SOLD FOR FIVE THOUSAND DOLLARS. THE TITLE WAS BODICIA, AND THE FIGURE SEEMED TO FILL ALL OF OUT OF DOORS. BUT OF ALL THE PICTURES ADMIRERS WHO STOOD BEFORE IT, I BELIEVE I WAS THE ONLY ONE WHO LONGED FOR BODICIA TO STALK FROM HER FRAME, BRINGING ME CORNED BEEF HASH WITH POACHED EGG. I HURRIED AWAY TO SEE Kraft. His satanic eyes were the same, his hair was worse tangled, but his clothes had been made by a tailor. "'I didn't know,' I said to him. "Well, yeah, we've bought a cottage in the Bronx with the money,' said he, "'any evening at seven. "'Then,' said I, "'when you led us against the lumberman, the Klondiker, "'it wasn't altogether on account of the unerring artistic adjustment of nature.' "'Well, not altogether.' Said Kraft with a grin. Thanks for joining us for this first short story, An Adjustment of Nature, by O. Henry. And now our second story, The Love Filter of Ikey Schoenstein. The Blue Light Drug Store is downtown, between the Bowery and First Avenue, where the distance between the two streets is the shortest. The blue light does not consider that pharmacy is a thing of bric-a-brac, scent, and ice-cream soda. If you ask it for painkiller, it will not give you a bonbon. The blue light scorns the labor-saving arts of modern pharmacy. It macerates its opium and percolates its own laudanum and paragoric. To this day, pills are made behind its tall prescription desk, pills rolled out on its own pill tile, divided with a spatula, rolled with the finger and thumb. "'dusted with calcium magnesia "'and delivered in little round pasteboard pillboxes. "'The store is on a corner "'about which coveys of ragged-bloomed, hilarious children "'play and become candidates for the cough-drops "'and soothing syrups that wait for them inside. "'Ike Schoenstein was the night clerk of the blue light "'and the friend of his customers. "'Thus it is on the east side, "'where the heart of pharmacy is not class a. "'There, as it should be, "'the druggist is a counsellor, a confessor, "'an advisor, an able and willing missionary and mentor "'whose learning is respected, "'whose occult wisdom is venerated, "'and whose medicine is often poured, untasted, into the gutter. "'Therefore Ikey's corniform, bespectacled nose "'and narrow, knowledge-bowed figure, "'was well known in the vicinity of the blue light, "'and his advice and notice were much desired. "'Ikey roomed and breakfasted at Mrs. Riddle's, two squares away.' "'Mrs. Riddle had a daughter named Rosie. "'The circumlocution has been in vain. "'You must have guessed it. "'Ikey adored Rosie. "'She tinctured all his thoughts. "'She was the compound extract "'of all that was chemically pure and officinal. "'The whole dispensatory contained nothing equal to her. "'But Ikey was timid, "'and his hopes remained insoluble "'in the menstruum of his backwardness and fears. "'Behind his counter he was a superb being.' calmly conscious of special knowledge and worth. Outside, he was a weak-kneed, purblind, motorman-cursed rambler with ill-fitting clothes stained with chemicals and smelling of sulcatrine aloes and valerianate of ammonia. The fly in Ikey's ointment, thrice-welcome, pat-trope, was Chunk McGowan. Mr. McGowan was also striving to catch the bright smiles tossed about by Rosie, but he was no outfielder as Ikey was. He picked them off the bat. "'At the same time he was Ikey's friend and customer, "'and often dropped in at the blue-light Store "'to have a bruise painted with iodine "'or get a cut rubber-plastered "'after a pleasant evening spent along the Bowery. "'One afternoon McGowan drifted in "'in his silent, easy way "'and sat comely, smooth-faced, "'hard, indomitable, good-natured, "'upon a stool. "'Ikey,' said he, "'when his friend had fetched his mortar "'and sat opposite, "'grinding gum benzoin into a powder.' Get busy with your ear. It's drugs for me, if you've got the line I need. Ikey scanned the countenance of Mr. McGowan for the usual evidences of conflict, but found none. Take your coat off, he ordered. I guess already that you've been stuck in the ribs with a knife. I have many times told you those dagoes would do you up. Mr. McGowan smiled. Not them, he said. Not any dagoes. But you've located the diagnosis all right enough. It's under my coat. "'right near the ribs. "'Say, Ikey, Rosie and me are going to run away "'and get married tonight.' "'Ikey's left forefinger was doubled over the edge of the mortar, "'holding it steady. "'He gave it a wild rap with the pestle, but felt it not. "'Meanwhile, Mr. McGowan's smile faded to a look of perplexed gloom. "'That is,' he continued, "'if she keeps in the notion until the time comes. "'We've been laying pipes for the getaway for two weeks.' "'One day she says she will. The same evening she says nix. "'We've agreed on tonight, and Rosie's stuck to the affirmative this time for two whole days. "'But it's five hours yet till the time, and I'm afraid she'll stand me up when it comes to the scratch.' "'You said you wanted drugs,' remarked Ikey. "'Mr. McGowan looked ill at ease and harassed, a condition opposed to his usual line of demeanor. "'He made a patent medicine almanac into a roll "'and fitted it with unprofitable carefulness about his finger. "'I wouldn't have this double handicap "'make a false start tonight for a million,' he said. "'I've got a little flat up in Harlem already, "'with chrysanthemums on the table and a kettle ready to boil, "'and I've engaged a pulpit-pounder "'to be ready at his house for us at nine-thirty. "'It's got to come off, "'and if Rosie don't change her mind again.' "'Mr. McGowan ceased, "'A prey to his doubts. "'I don't see, then, yet,' said Ikey shortly. "'What makes it that you talk of drugs? "'Or what I can be doing about it?' "'Old man Riddle don't like me a little bit,' went on the uneasy suitor, "'bent upon marshalling his arguments. "'For a week he hasn't let Rosie step outside the door with me. "'If it wasn't for losing a border, they'd have bounced me long ago. "'I'm making twenty dollars a week, "'and she'll never regret flying the coop with Chunk McGowan.' "'You will excuse me, Junk," said Ikey. "'I must make a prescription that is to be called for soon.' "'Say,' said McGowan, looking up suddenly, "'say, Ikey, ain't there a drug of some kind? "'Some kind of powders that'll make a girl like you better if you give them to her?' Ikey's lip beneath his nose curled with the scorn of superior enlightenment, but before he could answer, McGowan continued, "'Tim Lacey told me he got some once from a croaker uptown "'and fed him to his girl in soda water. "'From the very first dose he was ace-high, "'and everybody else looked like thirty cents to her. "'They was married in less than two weeks.' "'Strong and simple was Chuck McGowan. "'A better reader of men than Ikey was "'could have seen that his tough frame was strung upon fine wires. "'Like a good general who was about to invade the enemy's territory, "'he was seeking to guard every point against possible failure.' I thought, went on Chunk hopefully, that if I had one of them powders to give Rosie when I see her at supper tonight, it might brace her up and keep her from renigging on the proposition to skip. I guess you don't need a mule team to drag her away. But women are better at coaching than they are at running bases. If the stuff will work just for a couple of hours, it'll do the trick. When is this foolishness of running away to be happening? Asked Ikey. Nine o'clock, said Mr. McGowan. "'Suppers at seven. "'At eight, Rosie goes to bed with a headache. "'At nine, old Parvinzano lets me through to his backyard, "'where there's a board up Riddle's fence next door. "'I go under her window and help her down the fire escape. "'We've got to make it early on the preacher's account. "'It's all dead easy if Rosie don't balk when the flag drops. "'Can you fix me one of them powders, Ikey? Ikey Schoenstein rubbed his nose slowly. "'Junk?' said he. IT IS OF DRUGS OF THAT NATURE THAT PHARMACEUTISTS MUST HAVE MUCH CAREFULNESS. TO YOU ALONE OF MY ACQUAINTANCE WOULD I ENTRUST A POWDER LIKE THAT. BUT FOR YOU, I SHALL MAKE IT, AND YOU SHALL SEE HOW IT MAKES ROSY TO THINK OF YOU. IKE WENT BEHIND THE PRESCRIPTION DESK. THERE HE CRUSHED TO A POWDER TWO SOLUBLE TABLETS, EACH CONTAINING A QUARTER OF A GRAIN OF MORPHIA. TO THEM HE ADDED A LITTLE SUGAR OF MILK TO INCREASE THE BULK, AND FOLDED THE MIXTURE NEATLY IN A WHITE PAPER. "'Taken by an adult, this powder would ensure several hours of heavy slumber "'without danger to the sleeper. "'This he handed to Chuck McGowan, "'telling him to administer it in a liquid if possible, "'and received the hearty thanks of the backyard lock and bar. "'The subtlety of Ikey's action becomes apparent upon recital of his subsequent move. "'He sent a messenger for Mr. Riddle "'and disclosed the plans of Mr. McGowan for eloping with Rosie. "'Mr. Riddle was a stout man,' brick-dusty of complexion, and sudden inaction. Much obliged, he said briefly to Ikey. The lazy Irish loafer? My own room's just above Rosie's. I'll just go up there myself after supper and load the shotgun and wait. If he comes in my backyard, he'll go away in an ambulance instead of a bridal chaise. With Rosie held in the clutches of Morpheus for a many hours deep slumber, and the bloodthirsty parent waiting, armed and forewarned, Ikey felt that his rival was close, indeed, upon discomfiture. All night in the blue-light store he waited at his duties for chance news of the tragedy. But none came. At eight o'clock in the morning, the day clerk arrived, and Ikey started hurriedly for Mrs. Riddles to learn the outcome. And lo! As he stepped out of the store, who but Chunk McGowan sprang from a passing streetcar and grasped his hand. Chunk McGowan with a victor smile and flushed with joy. I pulled it off, with Elysium in his grin. Rosie hit the fire escape on time to a second, and we was under the wire at the reverend's at nine-thirty-and-a-quarter. She's up at the flat. She cooked eggs this morning in a blue kimono. Lord, how lucky I am. You must pace up some day, Ikey, and feed with us. I've got a job down near the bridge, and that's where I'm headed for now. The, the powder, stammered Ikey. Oh, that stuff you gave me, said Chunk, broadening his grin. Well, it was this way. I sat down at the supper table last night at Riddles, and I looked at Rosie, and I says to myself, Chunk, if you get the girl, get her on the square. Don't try any hocus-pocus with a thoroughbred like her. And I keeps the paper you give me in my pocket. And then my lamp's fallen on another party present, who, I says to myself, is failing in a proper affection toward his comin' son-in-law. So I watches my chance and dumps that powder in Old Man Riddle's coffee. See? Thanks for joining us for the love filter of Ikey Schoenstein, our second of today's two O. Henry stories. Hope you enjoyed them both. We always enjoy reviews here at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. If you enjoyed this episode and you're an Apple listener, please do take a moment and send us a kind review. Reviews are greatly appreciated and they help new listeners find us. We bring new shows every Wednesday and Sunday night at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Until next time, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.